Deacon Deacon, and I'm trying to see how to parse this off because I've skipped a few verses here. Yesterday we ended up 59th chapter of Isaiah 14 verse about judgment is turned away backwards and justice standing afar off for truth is falling in the street and equity cannot enter. I was looking at studying yesterday afternoon I've been looking at this and trying to piece it together and I'm arrived with just a vague title of recompense, retribution, and vengeance. Because man wasn't issuing the proper judgments, truth was lost. God looking down, and I think he's, he's going to recreate the earth. When I talk about, Isaiah talks about a recreation. Jeremiah looking at all of the prophets and things, but in Isaiah we see a recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. It's not like when the Spirit of God moved upon the earth when it, in, when it was dark and void and formless in the beginning. Not trying to go back and go down that rabbit trail of how it got in that condition because most scholars and theologians said it wasn't created in that condition. God doesn't create in such condition. But we know throughout all of that chaos, he brought about the earth. But when he planted a garden in the earth, the midst of the earth, and he put man there, even though he didn't give him his, his laws at that time, man was created in God's image and likeness. And I went down there a while back in some other study trying to explain the difference between the word and image and likeness. Whereas the likeness was the physical characteristics of, a, of man that was in the image of God, the Son of God. We know Jesus Christ is a man, but Jesus Christ was the Son of God also that was given. The Son was given. But it says in his image. So we had some of the image of God, but it became a fallen, uh, depraved man when he started walking in disobedience and he died. The spiritual dead, darkness came upon us, darkness came upon the world just like it was in the first physical world. And just as the spirit came and brewed over the earth, we see here uh, in an episode here where I think it's in verse 9 where it says therefore it's judgment far from us neither do it's justice overtake us. We wait for light but behold obscurity for brightness but we walk in darkness. We grope for the wall like the blind and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. We roar all like bears and mourn so like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it is afar off. After that glimpse way off in that condition that they were in, it says, Yea, verse 15, Truth fell it, and he that departed from evil, making himself a prey, and the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. In other words, no correct judgment. That judgment had became depraved. It became 
convoluted. So he said it, verse 16, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. So this Redeemer, this Goel, this Son of God, this Messiah, looked down and seen no intercessor, so he became that intercessor. As he looked down and says, I'll go, just as when he showed Isaiah man's spiritual condition and the condition of the world, Isaiah volunteered in, when he says, who shall we send? He says, send me, Lord. Yes. And that's what we do when we are born again, when we realize our depravity. We look for how can we pay back for this redemption and this reconciliation that we've, we've gotten graciously from God, from our Messiah, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when he came back in the book of Matthew 28, 20, 19, he gave his disciples a commission. He says, go ye therefore, making disciples and teaching. But here it says, number 17, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Seems like he's getting ready for battle here. He's, this is war, and this is what I put on. I asked him to put it up on me every morning out of the book of Ephesians. The whole armor of God. He's getting ready for battle here. That's the reason I entitled this recompense, retribution, and vengeance. 18 says, according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay Fear it to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the isles he will repay. So we see a paying back here that he's getting in a condition where he's going to bring judgment. He's about to correct some wrongs that had been made. He says, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. We know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. So as far as the world is, as far as we could, that means the whole world will realize this. It says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion unto him that turned from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. There go that word Redeemer again. Goel. And I keep trying to put that Goel in there, Redeemer, because we know that that has a different connotation in some other context of Scripture. But in the book of Ruth, it's a redeemer. Boaz was the goel. But that word also could be avenger of blood. Recompense. Recompense. He says, and as for me, verse 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thine mouth, nor out of the mouth of thine seed, nor out of the mouth of thine seed, seed, and saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. So what he's preparing is not only himself, but a group of people that's going to go forth with the word of God and it's going to be a forever covenant that they make with him. Yes. 
It's going to be a covenant of righteousness and a covenant that won't ever fail, that won't ever flounder. So as I said, he has to, to make an omelet. They say you have to break some eggs. It seems like he's about to break some eggs here. Recompense of evil. Isaiah 59 and 18, he says, According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the islands will repay recompense. The islands, in other words, the separate groups of people worldwide, all people, the Gentiles, heathen and everybody. So we see a great tribulation, a great day of judgment, of vengeance is coming because his people are praying to bring that about. Uh, we do corporate prayer. We do daily prayer, whatever. But our prayers is, come Lord Jesus, that thy will be done on earth. And I was telling you about some of those separate prayers for God to destroy our enemy, to remove the evildoer. Some of the things that's being done unto us, we're crying out to God through prayer. And that's why I say our prayer accomplishes a great deal because he says, call out to me. I'll hear when they call out to me. He or he has people when they pray and call unto him and he's going to act. He's not going to be, be, he tells us when we oppress the fatherless and the widow and all these, he'll hear when they cry unto him. So that that we have from God that, that he's going to hear the cry of his people. Their voices when they're looking unto him. The Amplified says, As their deeds deserve, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, retribution to his enemies, the islands and coastlands will repay. So everybody's going to get paid back. Payday is coming. You know, we always promise that payday would come. And we see now that this is maybe the day of the Lord or the time of the Lord. Nobody knows the approximate length of it. But we'll start maybe to see some of the things paid back to what people has done unto us. Some of our prayers we'll see manifested and answered quickly. Some justice delayed sometime, but we see God working. And that's what I say. Those of us that are spiritual, we can see that there's a great work beginning, a great work that has begun, and that we're in the midst of it. Yes. Ezekiel 7, chapter in the fourth verse says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Also, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, and in, the end is coming on the four corners of the land. So not only to Israel, because we said the Old Testament was written for our admonition. So he's actually talking to the church, all of God's called people. Because he says the four corners of the earth, that would be inclusive of the whole earth, four corners. You don't have the more four corners. So that's the whole earth. He says an end, the end is coming up on the four corners of the land. Now the end is up on you, and I will send my anger against you and will judge you in accordance with your ways, and I will bring retribution, that is, for all your abominations upon you. For my eye will have no pity on you, nor will I spare you, 
but I will repay you for your evil ways while your abominations are among you, and you will now recognize and understand without any doubt that I am the Lord. Now, nobody's going to have to convince you that. You'll see it by the judgments and the action and what's coming upon the earth. They're going to realize that he is Christ. He's then came all of a sudden. We're in the midst of judgment. That which the prophets, that which we had spoken of, is coming to pass. Ezekiel eleven twenty one says, But as for those whose heart longs for and follows after their detestable things and their repulsive things, those things associated with idolatry, on their heads I will repay them in full for their vile conduct, says the Lord. When I said all of the works, he's talking to the people in the church. He's mainly talking to his people here. When he was taught, when Isaiah was saying this, he was speaking to Israel. Now we're speaking to those that are in the church, and that's what I say. You will have to give account for what's going on. You can say you're Christian and whatever and explain away why what's coming up on you is happening. But we're in the midst of a judgment because yesterday what we preached, that when justice was closed out and so many injustices going on, the book of Revelation still stands that there are those that still are rebellious, rejectors of God's word, wicked, those that know God's word. And he says, he that is unjust, let him remain unjust. He that is unrighteous, let him remain unrighteous. That's the condition that it found Judas in. Judas is scared. That's why Jesus has said, woe unto him. When notice, he didn't try to convert Judas. Like the Pharisees, they wasn't seeking God. They thought they had God, that they thought they knew God. That was the biggest travesty that they could have committed because they committed an injustice to God's Son, to the Son of God, to an innocent man, which was an injustice in which they carried out. The book of Hosea, the ninth chapter in the seventh verse says, the days of punishment have come. The days of retribution are at hand. Let Israel know this. The prophet is considered a fool. The man of God who is inspired is treated as if he's demented because of the abundance of your wickedness and guilt and because of your deep antagonism toward God and the prophet is so great. Those that's actually telling you the truth the churches are desolate. There, there are not a whole lot of people following that narrow way. They speak of these people as kind of demented, or a little bit uh, too conservative, a little bit over the top, or taking the Bible literally, or not knowing that there's a new God or whatever. This is the ones that's preaching a new Jesus, and God's about to stand up for his preachers. He's about to stand up for his word. That's why he says the word of God shall not depart out of our mouth because we must continually speak the judgments of God no matter how devices it is to our home, no matter how devices it is to the community, the, to the nation or whoever it is, we must actually live the word of God because retribution is here. That which we pray for. Why we would pray for something that his will be done is, is when his will be done that we draw back. 
2 Thessalonians 1 and 6 saying, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with distress those who distress you. This is only one example of the fair, just way God does things. For he is using your sufferings to make you ready for his kingdom while at the same time he is preparing judgment and punishment for those who are hurting you. So it's a twofold purpose that's being accomplished in your suffering. It's a preparatory period of time that you learn obedience unto him and trust and have faith in him that he will repay. Vengeance is his. He repays vengeance. But it also it's a time of repaying those who's causing you to suffer. Those who are antagonistic to you in God's ways. So God here is bringing about a twofold use. And as I was telling you, we have to see God as having dualistic purposes. And, and it's not ambivalent. Uh, it's not to where we can just say, this is that and that's that as Job's friends was trying to put God in a box and say, Job, you broken God's laws. This has happened to you because we see this in your life and we see that. Some things aren't the way we call it or the way we see it. We have to walk by faith and trust in God yes. and die to self and ask God for wisdom, knowledge, and understanding because the ways of a man is right in his own eyesight, maybe you are still looking at it from a depraved humanistic point of view. Mm. Hebrews 2 and 2 says, Therefore we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression, and disobedience receive the just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and which confirmed unto us by them that heard him? So here comes John the Baptist preparing the way for the, for the Savior. And then Jesus, after Jesus did come, now he's preaching. John was saying, repent. John didn't preach to the repentance, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God, it's among you. It's in the midst of you that it's here. He had the good news that he was the one to bring that, to reconcile man unto God. That's the beginning of that preaching. He come with signs, wonders, and miracles and everything. This proclamation from God for all to hear. And it says, if under Moses every transgression, for if the message given through angels was authentic and unalterable and every violation and disobedient act received an appropriate penalty, how are we in this latter day going to escape if we ignore such a great salvation that is the gospel news, this new covenant. Yes. It's a much better covenant, but it's much more of a detailed covenant that we have to surrender ourselves, surrender our lives, deny ourselves, 
take up our cross and maybe suffer, maybe be humiliated, maybe go through a whole lot of things, but to follow after him, to continue in the word of God. We can't get out of God's word because the word it is that washes us and cleanses us. And if we go against the word, he says, every transgression shall receive its just recompense of reward. So he's going to chase in his children. You remember he was chastening David. David asked him to restore the bones that he had broken. He told David he had forgiven his sin or whatever, but David still had the consequences of the sword never leaving his house. You see, we have to see that we can't get away from the word of God and it is what it is. And that's why I say we should graciously walk therein and overcome sin. He's given us a rod. He's given us a sword to defeat sin. We're to be overcomers. We should do a greater work now that he has come. Our faith should be as overcomers and not continuing sin. He didn't die that we would continue in sin. He died that we would be overcomers. So we have to put on the whole armor of God. We have to get ready for the battle. There's a battle we are in. Now we're not fighting against flesh and blood. So we have to see that we have victories and there's divine vengeance. There's divine vengeance. The book of Deuteronomy says... 32nd chapter and the 35th verse says, Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot foot will slip, for their disaster is at hand and their doom hurries to them, to meet them. Psalm 94 and 1 says, O Lord God, you to whom vengeance belongs. O God, you to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth in judgment. The Living Bible says, Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, let your glory shine out and arise and judge the earth. Send us the proud to the the penalties that they deserve. Lord, give them what they got coming. Lord, I'm praying to get this off so I could achieve what you want me to achieve. That I would go around and do good and complete your purposes. These are the hindrances. These are the strongholds that I'm fighting against. This battle, Lord, that you've sent me out to, I want you to equip me for the battle, and I pray to the Lord because he's the Lord. That It's his battle. The battle is the Lord's. Amen. Yes. Ezekiel 25, 17 says, Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines have acted revengefully and have taken vengeance with malice in their hearts to destroy with everlasting hostilities and hatreds, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, and I will cut off the Cherethites and the destroy the remnant of the seacoast. Now, just because he's talking about the Philistines in this instance, people say, well, don't just pull it out of context. He was talking to them back then, and it was applicable to them back then, and it's not to individual or people now. I, I hear it again. It was written for our admonition. It's his laws. The principle and the precept doesn't change. God's law is unchanging. It was weak because they couldn't carry it out through flesh. Plus, they wasn't spirit directed. And I ask God's spiritual direction now because as I talk about our governor, 
our mayor, our president, parents, pastors, leaders, anyone in charge, anyone that's working in a deceitful manner that works vengeance contemptuously or brings about malice in their motives and hostility, God is talking to you because his will is going to be done in this earth as it is in heaven. It's the same God and it's going to work through his divine providence by the zeal of the Lord of hosts that he's going to take divine vengeance. So we have to bank upon God's word and take instances in which tangibly we can see and have heard and see how God acts. The Philistines, this came upon them, so it's going to come upon those in this day and time that do such. You remember Canaan land? The reason they couldn't inherit Canaan at that time, the times of the Hittites, Havites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the, all of the Ites, all of those things that the people of Canaan, it wasn't right yet. So there are people that's mistreating God's people in the churches. There are parents. It was one parent the other day that was at the casino or something, and something happened, and it killed this little baby girl or whatever. There were so many children in the home. God's day of vengeance is coming. Thank that parent that did that. She had killed someone before, but justice didn't come for the one that was dead at that time. But you see, God's judgment is coming. She didn't escape, even though it might have been an unjust prosecutor. A justice at that time wasn't served. There were several other criminal acts that she had gotten away with. But you see how God's judgment, he gives us time. In other words, a lot of time. As the old thing says, give them enough slack, uh, enough rope, and they'll hang themselves. So God's judgment or retribution is coming without us doing these things, but we must make sure that we're not taking judgment into our hand, realizing that vengeance is God's. So the person that she killed or harmed or whatever may have been praying the prayers that God would avenge what had happened to her or her daughters or whoever it was, and God's just not answering. Micah 5, 5th chapter, Micah the 10th through the 15th verse, and says, And in that day, says the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and tear down all your fortifications. I will cut off witchcraft and sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more fortune tellers. I will cut off your carved images and your sacred pillars from among you so that you will no longer worship and bow down to the work of your hands. I will root out your ashram symbols of the goddess Asherah from among you and destroy your cities, which are the sinners of pagan worship, and in anger and wrath I shall execute vengeance. It sounds as though that he's destroying a people at that time that worship wooden or carved images and was in witchcraft and all manner of sorceries. But it's the same thing that's going on today. We see it in the church of Revelation where he says he was going to destroy Jezebel and her children. 
He talks about fornication, witchcraft, sorcerers, and adulterers, the doctrine of Balaam. So we're looking at the church. These vices are going on in the church today. And just as he cleansed the temple of the money changers, which would be the same, he is the fortune tellers. In other words, those with the prosperity gospel and those with all kinds of soothing and smooth words. I'm not saying that they're not pronouncing the word of God, but what they're doing is maybe twisting the word of God or giving a wrong teaching of it and that God's going to remove all apostate Christians, the Christians that have fell back and who have slipped back and are teaching doctrines of heresy. That God purges and cleanses this. That's why I say we're in a time when Christianity among Christians are some of our greatest and most deadly and dangerous enemies because they're fixed and fitted in. They think they're doing God a favor. So what they're doing, I was seeing a, a, a video or something online from where the Russian television people were making fun of the people that vote for Trump or whatever and saying uh, they were stupid rednecks and all of this thing and laughing about how disastrous. Sometime in our own mind, we may think we're on top of the other worlds, but what are the other people in the nations in the world thinking of us? See, sometimes what we think of ourselves can be a distortion of reality because we can't see sometimes our reprobation. Just as God saved Nineveh by the preaching of Jonah, Jonah was upset that God wouldn't destroy Nineveh, but it wasn't that that time God preached the word just like his word is being preached now, and they're not, as in Hebrew, as I was telling you just then, they're drifting away from God's word, and by being modern day, they think it still doesn't stand for what it stands for. Yeah. That's why I was talking to you earlier about marriage and, and different principles and things in which we must still adhere to. Yes. Yes. Now, us did this great repentance and fasting before the Lord and the Lord salvaged them and didn't destroy them and Jonah was so, so upset that he had a protest against God but here the prophet Nahum comes back and he talks about what God does to Nineveh the avenging that he does to Nineveh Nahum 1 and 2 says the Lord is a jealous God an avenging God protecting and demanding what is rightfully and uniquely his. The Lord avenges and he is full of wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversary and he reserves wrath for his enemy. God is a jealous God over those he loves. That is why he takes vengeance on those who hurt them. He fiercely destroys his enemy. Assyria arose up and they was doing tragical things to Israel. They was doing hideous things to Israel, just as Hamas did to Israel the other day, and now Israel is doing more hideous things to them. They're not following the word of God. They lack knowledge or understanding of God because that's why Christianity is in the condition it's in in this nation, and so many people are getting away from Christianity. 
not that they're getting away from Christ, but they're getting away from the churches, the denominations and such, the people, because the leaders of religion has caused it to go straight. It's a hypocritical religion. We take in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, Romans, the 17th through the 21st verse. And the King James read, Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome; eat. be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes. It reads in the Living Version, uh, the Amplified. It says, "Never repay anyone evil for evil. Take thought, take thought for what is right and gracious and proper in the sight of everyone." If possible, at first it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave open the way open for God's wrath and his judicial righteousness. For it is written in Scripture, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For by doing this, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Yes. We see there something that the church in the United States you can only find a few churches that's teaching this yes. the yes. greater and the most popular teaching in the broad way teaching is to render unto them before they render unto you to do them worse to get vengeance to pay back your enemy as harsh as possible that power and destruction is the rule that's why this nation has to be has to fall because the leaders and the religions has to be rooted out because they've perverted the teachings of Jesus Christ. Yes. It's a perversion. And most churches are thinking those ways, and that's what this is about. Second Thessalonians one and eight says, Inflaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord. Amplified says, dealing out full and complete vengeance to those who do not seek to know God and to those who ignore and refuse to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by choosing not to respond to him. These people will pay the penalty and endure the punishment of everlasting destruction and banishment from the presence of the Lord for the glory of his power. We see him working in the church. We see him working in the world. He has a dual purpose, and that purpose is also to scrape away the filth that is clinging, that has the church cluttered up with insincere souls that are not seeking after the Lord. With the Laodicean church, those that Christ is knocking at the door, but in their Christian stance that they think they have no need of anything and that God sent them to be the world power, that God sent them, that they're God's chosen people, but they, these know not God. These know not God. He says, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of God, there remaineth no more sacrifice for God. And I gave that to you in both versions, and I think it may be clearer to some in the living version, which is if anyone sins deliberately 
uh, by rejecting the Savior after knowing the forgiveness of God, this sin is not covered by Christ's death. Because people say all sin, but is covered by Christ's death. No, not willful sin. You can't keep on sinning and knowing that you're doing something that's contradictory to the word of God. Amen. That you're living and teaching a presumptuous sinful life. There is no way to get rid of it. There will be nothing to look forward to but to terrible punishment of God's awful anger. A man who refused to obey the laws given by Moses was killed without mercy, you remember. Think how much terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated his cleansing blood as though it were a common and unhallowed thing and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to people. Because if he tell you to love your enemy, that's what he means, love your enemy, to treat those fairly who use you. How can we be one of the greatest power sources in the world? How can we talk about establishing your Second Amendment rights and that's a right to bear arms a cage? law that was meant for hundreds of years ago, over 200 years ago when they was found in this nation, that law would protect society to a certain point because of what was in the culture at that time. Yes, But see, that law was a cultural law that, like he said, the tradition of men have made void the commandments of God because God's commandment is thou shall not kill. Yes. Now, thou shall not kill, but we've learned the ways to explain those plain and simple laws and commandments away. We're a nation that kill all the time, and we're a murder capital of the world. Babylon, we're the murder capital of the world. So, God had, in his law, in the book of Numbers, set up a city of refuge. Because I could understand someone accidentally killing someone. There were accidental killings of some people. But God, in the book of Numbers, 35th chapter, 9th through the 34th verse, set up the cities of refuge. In other words, sanctuaries with those who accidentally kill another to flee to. Yeah. Today, Jesus is our city of refuge. We run to Jesus Christ for what we did unknowingly. Mm. The sins we've committed, he's our refuge. We go to Jesus. All our sins is co- that we committed are under the blood of Jesus Christ with the perimeters being within those verses uh, in that that you were to do, we're to abide in that city of refuge. We can't come out of that city of refuge. And that protection is granted as long as the high priest liveth. Yes. Jesus Christ is our high priest and he liveth forever. So we are continually under the blood of Jesus Christ. There were six of them located throughout Israel, but throughout the world now, anywhere we go, the spirit, 
God seeks worshipers, those that worship him in spirit and truth. So not only in Jerusalem, but God is everywhere. We can boldly approach the throne of grace because that's one of the reasons Jesus Christ died. So from the four corners of the earth, we can seek God. Amen. Yes. We can seek our Redeemer. The avenger of blood could lawfully take the killer's life. They would send an avenger of blood if the guy hadn't wrenched that city or whatever. Now, just because, as Paul says, just because things are lawful to me, that doesn't mean it's expedient. Some people talk about self-defense and all of this. But under no circumstances would I want to kill anyone. I wouldn't even want to kill someone where the death penalty was due to them. We see society now, the Hollywood Writers Association, different groups are talking about leaving Louisiana, and the film industry is talking about leaving because our governor is wanting to bring back the death penalty and use nitrous oxide or whatever it is or find some chemicals to destroy the killers mm. to bring back the death penalty. Not saying because God instituted the death penalty. God instituted capital punishment. He says, if you kill man, your blood shall be killed by man. He instituted the government and gave the government the sword to take this out, to carry out or carry forth this penalty. I think, as I just now said, it's far too many people that's running around loose that didn't kill people. That the reason a lot of people, we see so many retaliatory shootings today and vengeful killing is because there's no justice in the courts and so they know that that person may serve a month or two or a year to it, get out of whatever. So they, they're the avenger of blood. They kill that individual because that concept is inbred in man. Most of the time, the avenger of blood was a blood relative. There were different requisites to be an avenger of blood. But that word, that goel, even though the state should, I think if we had more capital punishment, if we were killing more people that kill in a way or manner that God says not to kill, if the state carries that out, I think, I'm not saying it's a deterrent to crime, but I think we would be following God's laws. Yes. But I think Louisiana is the least state that should be able to be in charge of that because there's no fair justice in this state. He in, in the party in the public Republican elect the election, Todd Graves I think would have made a better candidate for governor than any of the rest of them. But we had a lot of people that whereas the Republican Party tore the shreds and still tearing the shreds, Todd Graves because he wouldn't go along with Steve Scalise and some of the people Higgins and all of them that were behind and along with Trump. But see, we have uh, the nations wanting to succeed or whatever. There's several states and there's 13 states that are going against the federal government and may succeed. I don't know or whatever. The division is there. There's an irreparable tear there. Yes. 
And I'm saying capital punishment would be right or whatever, but I don't think this state of the, is, is a state that's a just state that would carry out uh, equitable justice. I think it's no, it, and that's why I say secularly, the people have a right because they're not Christians. They're not a part of what we advocate. In other yeah. words, they're not, so they carry out life their way. That's why, but God is offering this to everybody. Just the church should be the example, but the church is so hypocritical. The church is so convoluted because it has so many politicians within the church now that that's what's the leaven inside the church. It's so corrupted. And, you know, that's why the old saying, there's wisdom in that old saying, religion and politics don't mix. That that was separated during Solomon's reign. It used to be the prophet would give, but we noticed that Simon did, Solomon didn't have a prophet. Once you mix those two, just like with Trump, the advocate of Trump becoming president or whatever, you have an anti-Christ system, an anti-God system. Yeah. You have a beast system when that unites politically and religion. Now, that's one of the reasons the founding fathers, when they came to the United States in the Constitution, they had that separation. That's the reason they came here, because of political and religious persecution. They were fleeing religious persecution in Britain. We see what has happened to Britain, yep. and it's the same that's going to happen to this nation. So God had it set up yep. for a city of refuge, for vengeance. But you remember I said, let, let, let me keep, I kept hang, hammering that point in about the Goel. And in this chapter, and I told you, I didn't know how to put it together with retribution, vengeance, and all of these things, because in the Hebrew term translated as avenger is Goel which has a fascinating ramification when appearing in other contexts. In other words, look at it in the book of Ruth, as it can all be, also be translated as the redeemed or the redeemer. And we see here in this chapter where that judgment, that vengeance is taking place, but also that's the chance, just like we have an advocate with the Father, and Jesus Christ is playing both parts because you can say, well, Father, I died for this one that sinned, that did this or whatever. It's covered by my blood, but in turn, he's the one that's judging the world. So he's wearing two robes, and here he has on a robe where it's he's the Redeemer also in that second in a. 20th chapter, I mean, verse or so, we see where he's the redeemer, the Goel. Boaz was the redeemer. He was in the book of Ruth seven times that word Goel is translated as redeemer. Boaz was Ruth's redeemer. Yes. Ruth was a Moabite. The laws was against the Moabites. They wasn't to enter into the sanctuary for 10 generations. But Naomi was redeemed through Ruth. The child that Ruth had was symbolic here. Boaz was symbolic. One of the temple stones of the pillars in the temple was named after one of their sons, and one was Boaz. So what we have here is the Redeemer was the one who stood for his family in order to protect its rights, and Jesus is our Redeemer. 
He's our Goaz. He's our re- avenger of blood. And that's why he's able to seek vengeance because if we're his children, yes. we are blood relatives. See, that, like I said, that was requisite to become a redeemer. Satan can't be redeemer. No one else has that because Jesus Christ was made by the seed of the woman. She didn't carry, he didn't carry man's seed for blood, but he was born of a woman. He got the biological rights through Joseph, his father, but that was through for the earth, for the ownership of the earth. Satan is not legal in the earth. That's why that lease returns. He Adam gave over that lease. Adam turned it over through obedience. But Jesus Christ, through obedience, he won this because of the injustice did to him. That's how we win by the injustices did to us. That's why we turn the other cheek. That's why we live as peaceable as possible with all men. That's why we honor the word of God. We believe and have faith in what God says that way we don't avenge ourselves. We don't kill. We don't do other these other things. Even though some preaching and teaching could persuade you and show you by scripture, it is right to do those things. Yes. So Jesus protects our rights as our redeemer. Yes. In Exodus 20 and 13, the commandment is, Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not kill. Yes. In that thou should not kill. The, there, despite this, religious leaders' endorsement, they have the just war doctrine that it is antithetical to Christian beliefs. And what made me look at this and examine this, I used to follow Charles Stanley years ago. I would read and study and follow Charles Stanley religiously for years. And I've sent and contributed to his ministries and everything. But some of the things he began to say, and I said, this doesn't sound scriptural. Mm. Even though it's scriptural, it sounds like a twisting because it goes against such a larger body of Christ, of, of Christianity. And that's what the world is saying today, that this is another Jesus, that this is not Christ. Like, we can't be both. That's why the church is losing a lot of membership, because it's hypocritical. The sixth commandment absolutely forbids it. Jesus' teaching in the four gospel and the apostles' teaching in the rest of the New, Te- New Testament clearly stands against killing, against these things. He says, turn the other's cheek. He's the one that told Peter, those that live by the sword, die by the sword. Now, you may have some violent Christians within there. Thomas and James, some of the rest of them were some pretty rough boys that, that Jesus had there with him. Yes. That was the reason he didn't tell who was going to betray him because they probably would have killed him. You know, yes. in a lot of these churches you go to, the preacher may be a holy man in preaching, but some of the deacons or the other member might not be as quite as holy as that preacher is. And you raise up in there or whatever, they like to hurt you pretty bad or shoot you. Something happened to you off in there. What can be simpler than blessed are the peacemakers? Matthew 5, 9. You shall not murder, verse 21. It says you shall not murder. Turn the other cheek, verse 39. And love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. 
Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and, and use and persecute you in all manner of ways. Verse 9. Now, these are plain instructions from only one chapter. It's just like they didn't derive the doctrine that changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. They didn't change the resurrection from a Sabbath day resurrection to a Sunday morning resurrection with only a day and a half or so in the grave. Mm. But Jesus plainly said he was going to be in the grave three days and three nights. Yes. Whereas all of this is being misconstrued. The apostles are similarly of one voice in this matter. Paul writes, repay no one evil for evil. If it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Why couldn't David build a temple? He was a man of blood. Solomon built a temple. Beloved, do not avenge yourself. I don't know how simple that could be. Do not avenge yourself because you're taking on the part of Jesus Christ. That's his job. Mm. He has divine vengeance. He's the judge. That's why a lot of people say you can't, you don't. Don't judge me. The Bible says, judge ye not, lest ye be judged. Now, you can fulfill that in a Christ-like manner, but also you can teach it from and twist it. You remember they said they twist the scriptures of Paul to to their own hurt and destruction? Yes. He says, vengeance is mine, I shall repay. That's plain. Deuteronomy, Romans. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. That's Romans 12, 17 to 21. We just went over. He later says that we do not war according to the flesh. Right? We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 2 Corinthians, it's too late now to tell you. you So as he says... For our weapons of warfare are not carnal. That's 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4. Meaning Christians do not fight with physical arms, but spiritual. Mm. That, that's where the understanding that. Yeah. We don't go out and kill people or fight a physical battle. He states our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Mm. The helmet of salvation is not a carnal weapon. The breastplate of righteousness, it's his righteousness imputed unto us, and we walk in his righteousness. We pull off the old man and put on the new man. All of this is spiritual. Yes. Yes. Our feet are shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. That's the good news. We go about carrying the good news. So the whole armor that we are preparing, we have to have this armor on, the armor protects us, and at the end it says with all prayer and supplications. So, but man is preaching and bringing you back to a carnal state. That's what the Satan's ministers of light who has been transformed into ministers of, I mean, Satan ministers of darkness who have been transformed into ministers of light who have savaged and killed and skinned the weaker sheep They've put on their clothing, their wolves in sheep's clothing. There are a lot of disobedient sheep that have died along the way, has given their life 
because of a weak belief of a, a place that they wasn't going to occupy. It wasn't for them. Remember when James and P- John, James and Peter were put in jail, one was beheaded, whereas Peter was let loose. Okay, James calls, James calls Christians who fight in war. What does James call Christians who fight in war with each other? He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. Those who make themselves enemies of God by applying unrighteous methods of this world. That's why we're saying, how do we survive? It's kind of uh, a duplicitous way that I'm looking at this. How do we survive in this world? Because Jesus says, I'm leaving him in the world, but keep him from the evil that's in the world. So that we don't adopt evil means to achieve our the the ends the means doesn't justify the ends. In other words, by them killing and destroying, talking about ridding the world of Hamas and its e- evil, that's a wicked and an evil means to an end that you're working toward. It's like the ones that are feeding the needy and casting out devils, and Jesus come along and says, "I never knew you." So the means you were using didn't justify the ends because you didn't have a relationship. You didn't know God. You didn't do it God's way. There's a way that seemed right to a man, but the end is death and destruction on both sides. You're trying to make justice, but you're a murderer trying to make justice. It's like if I was to go bomb an abortion clinic and kill abortion doctors, I'm still a murderer. So James says in James 4th chapter, 1st through the 4th verse, what leads to the unending quarrels and conflicts among you? Do they not come from your hedonistic, in other words, your earthly pleasure design, your needs, the desires that wage war in your bodily memories? It's the lust that's in your memories for what you want, what you desire, what that is you coveted. He says, desires that wage war in your bodily members fighting for control of you. You are jealous and covet what others have. And your lust goes unfulfilled, so you murder. You are envious and cannot obtain the object of your envy, so you fight and battle. You do not have because you do not ask it of God. You ask for something from God and do not receive it. Because you're asking with wrong motives. The reason God didn't give it to you, you was asking for the wrong reason, the wrong purpose, and that's why, but they're not obeying God. You remember I say it's those that refuse to obey God. That's rejecting that God says, well, you shouldn't have it. Well, I'm going to go take it from them. I'm going to get it anyhow because I want it. He says, because you ask with wrong motives, that is, out of selfish or uh, with unrighteous agenda, so that when you get what you want, you may spend it on your hedonistic desires. You adulteresses, that is, disloyal sinners, flirting with the world and breaking your vow to God. That's what an adulteress is. So he calls them adulteresses and adulterers. Do you not know that being the world's friend, that is, loving the things of the world, is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Because he tells us plainly in his word, love not the world nor the things of the world. Any man that loves the world or the things of the world is the enemy of God. And that's what you're fighting and killing for? A piece of land, a property, a car, a woman, or some of these other things? Finally, John writes, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So these are the Christians that go around with a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other hand. That don't seem very Christian. That doesn't seem Christ-like. Some may contend that these teachings do not apply to us because some of them are instructions to individuals. But are not nations merely large, organized groups of individuals the reason he punishes nations because the person that you choose as a leader or whatever is a representative of the nation? That's just like we are ambassadors of Christ. We are we. We represent what Christianity should stand for, and that's why God punishes us us the worst because we shall receive the greater sin because anybody that named the name of Christ should depart from iniquity. This major problem today is Christianity's problem, hypocrisy. The vast majority of supposedly Christian ministers and churches have traded the truth of the Bible, the word of God, for unrighteous mamma, political gain or popularity. Their unregenerate hearts are revealed by what comes from their mouth. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders. You go kill to overturn an election. You go go in and kill a sitting senator and representative. The insurrection of the capital to put your man in, you saying something is cheated. Didn't Paul say, shouldn't you rather accept this and God correct the problem? Rather than walk the different path to eternal life, they have taken the broad way that leads to destruction. Matthew 7, chapter 13 through the 14th verse. The way that is right in their own eyes, Judges 21 and 25, as the time of Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes. The way that seems, there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death, Proverbs 14 and 12. Jesus Christ would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, Matthew 7 and 23. So we see there, vengeance is not so tricky, but that it's prohibited by the Bible. Retribution and all of these, God says those things belong to him. I repay those things. So we're taking God's job in hand when we transgress his laws. We're being disobedient to the covenant. And he brings that out, that he had set up a covenant and his law shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, you shall not turn to the left or right, but you should walk therein. Heavenly Father, as we